It's a very, very good evening this Monday evening. Thank you for joining me. I'm Wayne Turner taking you through till quarter to seven this evening. The program is Talk at Six with Wayne Turner and we look at a variety of subjects. We have regular guest experts. We discuss some of the main issues that influence our lives from finances to medical to education to community. We try to cover these areas and give you perspective from an expert's advantage. First, second Monday of the month means it is time to have our finance slot. And in studio with us is none other than Nico Kleinans. A very warm good evening to you, sir. Good evening to you and also to the listeners. Now, Nico, um, just give us a bit of background. What's been happening in the last month personally and what, what whatever you're involved in? Okay. I'm involved in something tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow the whole day. Now, I have two secret fears in my life. The one is I can't handle singing in public. I was part of a school of a thousand kids and it was compulsory that everybody sing in a choir. I was given a special dispensation because as the teacher put it, I have gifts elsewhere. So I didn't (laughs) have to sing. The second nightmare I have is I have no sense of being artistic. I can't draw a box. It's just there's a mental block. Tomorrow, I've got to spend the day in an art class. I have to design a cup, which is then going to be baked in a pottery class. (laughs) I have honestly (laughs) been thinking, I don't often wish I get sick, but I have (laughs) no idea how I'm going to avoid the class. How did you get forced into this? Well, it's part of a team-building exercise. At Clay Cafe. At Clay Cafe. (laughs) And this is now people are flying down from all over South Africa. I have to be there. But really, I would not have chosen that as a team-building exercise. Absolutely not. Well, who knows? Uh, I would presume if you can't draw a box, it would be abstract. And Picasso had to have started somewhere. Yeah, but that was Picasso. He could take a cokey pen and he could turn out something that's going to cost a million. Well, uh, let me just stop you right there. Colonel Sanders of KFC started at the age of 65. I know. So uh, maybe there is something happening and all of a sudden you'll give up finances and become the next Picasso. No, I just think this is going to be one of those nightmares I'm going to... Am I too optimistic? You are way too optimistic. Okay, we will see next month... We'll get a report back. Okay. Okay. We will <laughs> see. So, so that's what's happening uh, personally. Anything you've picked up in the business world in the past month that we're not discussing? No, I, I think uh, generally we are doing quite well. Yesterday we broke the JSC All Share All Time Index again. So this is an all time high. So depending on where you look, you either are happy or you listen to the politicians and you want to go and jump into the sea. So The old adage of is it half, glass half full or is it half empty? Absolutely, and that's the options. Right, well let's look and see how full the glass actually is. We've got a couple of points you want to deal with in the show and we kick it off with the big question on everyone's minds. And now, you, Firstly, we need to say Nico is not a medical person, he's not a COVID person, expert he watches the news he looks at different aspects and has uh, access to information that we don't have and he tries to bring us what what we can see especially as it affects us financially so let's kick it off with COVID. Well the the main 
a point right now is as of this week, Monday, kids are able to return to school five days a week. And with no one meter separation. with no one meter separation. And that means teachers are now depressed because they've got used to working with 20 kids in a class and suddenly they're back to 40. Can I just interject there? I, my educational expert, uh, a teacher with 48 years experience, we were chatting last week and she says to teachers, that's good news. Doing this thing with mommy in the background and trying to keep a kid's attention and to be able to monitor all kids and see who's struggling they think it's good news. No, I I agree. Um, but a couple of my teacher colleagues who, who communicate regularly have said it's been a bit of a strain. Mm. The kids are overly excited, especially the younger groups, and uh, they're delighted to be together. But I think the kids need a fair chance. And you I think it's going to subside after a while and they'll get back into the school zone. Well, I've been watching the primary schools when it comes to getting home time and the kids now sit down at on the inside of the school and as the parents pick them up, they're let out so they don't run around in the street anymore. So there is some uh, organization with it and keeping COVID in mind? Certainly within the Western Cape, there's a lot more planning now than there was uh, previously. And then also the other rule that affects all of us is if you are... COVID positive and you have no symptoms, you are not required to isolate. So how is that going to impact the business world? Well, it's going to make things a lot easier because there's going to be less uh, sick, fewer sick leave days. And we are finally acknowledging that particularly those who've been vaccinated and are COVID positive, they, they don't have symptoms. Mm. So why should they, as a result of that, go into a lockdown? Right. So it's treating it again as if it's a bad flu. Yes. And so if you had a, have a bad flu, you're now compelled to stay at home. You know how many of those people in the business world who who didn't isolate themselves from their colleagues and my, my, my doctor, over the, every year, he'd give all the different... Uh, things you need to do if you have flu or, or gastro. And it was just like COVID. Now people have been forced to do that. Uh, and it's making people more considerate of others. Absolutely. And then the last thing, if you do have COVID and you do have symptoms, your lockdown period is seven days, not 10 days. Anymore. Right. So that makes things a lot easier. It's not as disruptive in a family because that was part of the problem mm. under the old rules. You had to go and put granny in a hotel somewhere at an mm. enormous cost if your house was such that you couldn't isolate her. So now those rules, are, it's becoming more of a norm now and it's becoming more manageable. Well, that's what 10 years ago, Dr. Charles Schuller was saying, if you've got a bad case of flu in the home, isolate the person, wash your hands, put a mask on, and you, you stand less chance as a number of other ones but yeah. that's what you should have done but that's why flu was so prevalent now we do this so well cases of regular flu have decreased tremendously yes now i i, I think we are getting to the end of the covert issues i so, really think so what is your outlook i mean i know you were very positive towards the end of last year until boris johnson decided that he wanted to keep the pounds in the uk economy and uh, put all those flight restrictions that had 
only impact they had on where the countries the people are going to. Uh, how do you see the the future now of uh, us doing tourism business more freely? Okay, it's unfortunate that you used Boris as an example right now, because in terms of all the leaders of Europe, he's probably the most useless of all of them, because he, on the one hand, makes announcements in their parliament, then he's got parties in his backyard where there are no social conditions at all, Mm. no social distancing, and that's being a hypocrite. Even he admitted that that was a knee-jerk reaction to cutting Africa uh, out when there was no reason for it because he wasn't applying the same rules in the other countries. And so it was perceived as racist. Mm. But the other thing was, and uh, I hold the view, I had a British pastor visit us this week, is the whole thing of, well, if we lock down over the festive season or we prevent this, we're going to keep a lot of British pounds in the country, especially a overtaxed COVID economy. Yes, but you've also got to look at, this is not only about finances, this is also about creating impressions. Mm. And you get enough people angry, they will not return right. when they can. Because not everybody visiting the United Kingdom has blood relatives we go because we want to go. And there's a huge relationship between Australia, New Zealand, South Africa with the UK as a holiday and work destination. Yes. So I think um, the United Kingdom has made some very serious mistakes. I think they are going to regret some of those decisions. But we can now travel to all kinds of countries. And right. they are, for me, that's not the end of the world. Well, in the Western Cape, we need that tourism industry. I think my wife's income was cut by 66% over yes. the festive season. And she's a one-person operator who yes. can get help from here and there. But there's lots of businesses and operators. When that happens, they are absolutely devastated. I agree. It did have uh, an effect on our economy. I'm noticing that the tourists have returned. And it's nice to hear those foreign accents around. Oh, man, it's, it's really interesting. There was a time when I sometimes thought, wow, when am I going to hear a South African accent again? But it's nice to see these tourists coming back. What I am not seeing yet are these buses of tourists. Mm. I'm not seeing those. So I'm wondering when those companies are going to get their buses going again. Right, right. But uh, generally, I, I think we're, we're at the other end. So... Uh, from an overall perspective, with you looking into the different aspects of the economy, tourism being a big one, we've got a glass that's half full at the moment. We've got a glass that's half full, and I think there are going to be massive improvements. Mm. And also the local economy has finally adjusted their pricing model mm. to get people locally to visit, because we've got a beautiful country. Right. There are things that we have not yet seen and we live in this country mm. so i've certainly decided i'm going to spend a lot more time in the western cape particularly how small business doing i just want to make a, a comment um, my daughter uh well um she has just got a a new job for a card machine company now i use that card machine for my online book sales and uh during lockdown, they had retrenchments at this company. And uh, when she was interviewed, she did five Zoom interviews for the job. Two of the people interviewed said they weren't here last year. They'd been retrenched. 
but now they'd been rehired. And this company is uh, hiring 10, new pe- 10 people a week. And, uh, you know, people are talking about macroeconomy and all the rest, of it, but this is happening. I was wondering, uh, they, sell, they sell their machines and bring on customers to a lot of small people so they can have one of these little machines. Is there a, 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 a surge of small business opportunities after people have lost their jobs from bigger companies that something like this is happening now? All of a sudden, the small people need card machines? I think there is a trickle-down effect that we are now seeing because as money gets into circulation, people will spend it and mm. then that gives new opportunities for smaller companies. I've been watching the catering business, particularly in Cape Town. More and more people are saying, I don't want to cook. I'm happy to get a qualified chef to prepare my meals, to freeze them, and then I'll just pop it into the air fryer Mm. when I get up. Everyone's getting air fryers now. That's it. And that clearly is the new way to go. It's less uh, damaging on the electricity needs it has. It's certainly easier to operate than a great big oven. And... I think more and more people, I think air fryers are beginning to make a difference. But certainly catering, I'm seeing a lot more of that happening. People are just using Facebook and saying, today I'm making cottage pies. Mm. And they get enough orders to survive as a business based on one article on Facebook. Right. My my daughter, who's getting married this weekend, uh, her first wedding gift was an air fryer. I think those are definitely going to be the the things. I mean, I wanted the other day uh, a dozen um, scotch eggs made. Yes. And it took me about two days to find a local supplier. And she lives, she's retired, and that's what she does. So we were able to do a perfect match. And so she was able to provide something that I was looking for that I can't actually get in any of the delis that have businesses, mm. they no longer make it. But she was able to make it and she's able to earn well from that. And that's that's where I see um, the business ideas. Are A lot of people out. are going online. I know my my, my little book, uh, second or pre-lab children's book business, I do it on Instagram and I am selling books to Ukhrabi, Da'ar, Uppington, White River, all these little places where uh, there aren't the bookshops, but people, because of lockdown and video and online, all of a sudden they, they're very quick and free to, to purchase. And I, yes. I, I'm sure there's many little businesses like that. I know in my category, lots of ladies who during lockdown started selling their kid, own kids' books and toys and have created little businesses. So yes. online must be doing extra well now that people have, it, I think it's been, it's got people to change gears, a, a, a way of thinking that, it is safe to do business online. I think online is here to stay. Um, the little tricks you need to do, you must use virtual credit cards, not ordinary credit mm-hmm. cards. There's a different way of dealing with virtual. It's much more difficult to scam you. If they've got your uh, your credit card name and number and it's a virtual card, it, you still have control, right. which you didn't have. So there are little tricks that you've got to follow but certainly online has become safer. Maybe we can deal with virtual cards in a future program, just okay. uh, how people go about it, what the okay. different aspects are. Let's look at that. Okay, okay so uh, a lot of people are thinking about retirement at oh, the moment, yes. early retirement due yeah. to the fact of the economy and COVID and the rest of it. So there's more people thinking about it. T- 
tell us about what do people, what do they need to know about retirement in the COVID lockdown, the, the economy in at the moment? You are right. A lot of people are wanting to take early retirement. They feel their jobs were at threat uh, during COVID and they want to just get out and start somewhere else again. Mm. Now, I'm going to do some warnings and warnings tend to scare people. But the problem that we have when we talk of retirement, if we speak the truth honestly, people become afraid. Mm. And then they go into the fear reaction of taking unnecessary risk because they've got to catch up. Mm. So we're always stuck in that kind of space. But I have had a couple of people contact me from the listeners. And this comes about because of the pattern that I'm seeing. And one of the things that depresses me is I will get a typical message saying, if I take early retirement, I will get 2 million or I will get 3 million rand, those kind of rounds. Mm. And then people assume that that is going to last them until their 100th or their 90th birthday. Mm. And then I've got to say, listen, let's look at the effect of inflation on that 3 million so you can get an idea of what you're actually talking about. So I've got some examples here, and I'm going to repeat them twice because it's figures. If you're wanting 20,000 per month from your 65th to your 100th birthday, 20,000 a month, you're going to have to give me 5 million rand. If you don't give me 5 million rand, you are not going to have 20,000 rand per month from your 65th to your 100th birthday. Because if there was no inflation, then a lesser amount would have worked. Mm. But we're sitting with inflation that we've got to calculate at about 7%. Now, if you took the same 20,000 and you're saying, I don't want to live until 100, let's say 90. So from 65 to 90, then you're going to have to hand me 4 million rand, a million less. So the problem comes is as you get older, inflation messes up a lot of your calculations. So don't look at three million or three and a half million and assume that is going to provide you. Now this is the shocker. Let's assume that your medical aid for you and your spouse comes to four and a half thousand rand a month. If you wanted that medical aid to carry on for 20 more years, let's say from 65 to 85, you're going to have to hand me 1.2 million rand. If it's less than that, you are not going to be able to afford medical aid. So either you then have to rely on the state, and there's nothing wrong with that, because if you live in a decent area, the state does provide decent service. Mm. If you're living in Porfadersson or Waterfontein, then the problem is very different. Mm. So be aware of the cost of medical aid. And why I'm stressing that is because some of you work for the government. And when you retire, government gives you an option whereby you can get the medical aid as a tax-free benefit, but then you've got to stay on their scheme. And people don't want that, so they jump. And they forget that that decision is going to cost them a million rand. Mm. So get proper advice from a certified planner who actually works with government schemes 
because that can make a massive difference. The other area where I become a little concerned is you've decided that your child needs to go to university and you've calculated that it's going to cost you about 30,000 rand a year if they stay at home. If that child only needs to go to university in 10 years' time, you are not looking at 30,000 for five years. You are, in fact, looking at 380,000 because inflation in education is higher than other inflation. So you've got to make sure you're talking to certified financial planners. They've got all the software in the world. They can show you how the software works and it can then make a big difference to your planning. Okay, so you've given us some bad news to some people or some shocks. I've been in a situation and I've realized, and as we've had on show on previous shows, you cannot rely on a pension for your future. Even if you're if you have a government pension or uh, a pretty good pension, you need to do something to supplement. And you've raised this more than on more than one occasion, and that is multiple income streams. To to be open to that, and it's more difficult if you are a person in SARS, although you've come up with a solution, why don't you do this and do that? I mean, we've realized, and we've we've had to do that, and uh, we have even created new income streams that we didn't have before lockdown that are now becoming uh, primary sources of income. Again, your advice to people when they get shocked by the costs for the future. How do you integrate that with another income stream? Okay, this depends entirely on where you're working. So Mm. let's take somebody working from SARS. Mm. Because of all the government departments, you're going to be the come out the best. Right. Having an understanding of how tax works, that knowledge is very, very valuable. It forms quite a big part of a, ta- uh, of a uh, uh, financial planner's work. That's right. You've got thousands of financial planners in South Africa, and they all have the same problem. SARS changes rules every second day. And so they're permanently struggling to get their staff trained, get their staff up to date. So I would say to the typical SARS person, in your last three years at SARS, get a broader education around tax within SARS. Get that experience going. And make sure that when you out, you know where to get the, the new information. Absolutely. And then you rent yourself out on a retainer. Mm. You get 10 small tax practices who put you on a monthly retainer. That income is going to be more than you're earning at SARS. Right. So you'll have your pension. I mean, those sort of people are people who taking an early retirement will be far more attractive if they uh, set something up like this. Absolutely, absolutely. Now let's take an example of you're not working in SARS and your skill is logistics. Mm. The same thing applies. Take two or three years and sharpen your logistics skills. Then you go out on retainer. You actually can make more money than you're earning. Mm. The same with IT people. You have the same option. So your first move when you're looking at increasing your income stream 
is to look at where your skill set lies. Right. That's your major move. Now, let's assume that that is not an option for you. Then there are other options. There are certain investments that you can make that SARS will contribute between 25 and 40% of whatever you've invested, they will give it back to you. Right. Use that example. If you have a tax-free investment, keep putting in your 36-odd thousand a year. It gets to a half a million quite quickly. And all the profit is tax-free. That means you get to retirement, you've had an, a tax-free investment for 12, 13 years, and you've got a million rand that you have not got to pay any tax on whatsoever. Right, so there, there are many ways of doing things. The way I think is, what can I do from a wheelchair? <laughs> you know, I can graphic do graphic design, I can have something to my laser cutter, I can have a room at home where I do an online business, but that even if I can't walk. So you, you need to plan for not necessarily the worst, but what happens if your mobility changes? Can you still do the secondary income? Well, in, in that actual case, an actual example was I got the person to do a zero course, zero accounting course. And then she took on two clients of an, is, an existing accounting practice, but she worked from home. Mm. And that gave her an income stream. It gave her a sense of doing, and she became really good. I remember the one exam, she got 98%. Wow. So, yes, she did not have to feel a victim in any kind of way. She was able to cope. And if you have a property, a home you're living in of value, or you're paying it off, uh, buying a small secondary that you can pay off, that you can use that to live in when you're older and rent out or sell off the primary one. But if you only have one investment, either you've got to find another a place to be accommodated and live off that or sell it, but you don't want to just take your primary Absolutely. residence. Absolutely. You can't only have one income stream ever. Mm. It's bad. What happens if something goes wrong with that income stream? You're going to be in trouble. And that's, that, that, I mean... I've said before, we lost five income streams at the beginning of lockdown. Hopefully, we're not going to see lots of more pandemics. But that was a big, big wake-up call for us that what we thought, we had taken advice, have multiple income streams, and then it all disappeared. So you need to be thinking, which is why you need a, a someone who can help you with that planning. It's got to be a certified planner because they know what they're, they're doing. Right. Now, before... Listeners, as one person has done, threw up their hands and say, it's easier for you to talk. Let me tell you that by the time I reached the age of 35, I had not earned income of any kind for any period more than three months. That was three months that I worked for SARS for 240 rand a month. Okay? But until I turned 35, I worked as a missionary. Mm. I didn't even have new clothes. I had to wear hand-me-downs. I think I was in that position as well as in my late 30s when I stopped missions. That's right. That's when I started from scratch. I didn't have a bank account. I can't even remember the first day I got my credit card, but I was probably 38 or 39 years mm. old. So I know what it means to start late. And there's still I, possibility if you start late. It's never too late if you take into consideration 
the future. Absolutely. And even now at the age of 70, my knowledge still has value. Mm. I don't have to work 15-hour days. I don't have to work 12-hour days. I don't even have to work 10-hour days Mm. because my knowledge has value. I have built up the knowledge in an area that it can provide ongoing income streams. Even if your primary retirement plan is not as good, if you look at your skills, yes, take take what you've got, take a hint from what Nico is saying now, start considering this for the future. Okay, now let me go to the last comment because right. this is something you can actually do at home if you've got pen and paper. When you're looking at the lump sum somebody's offering you, Work out what that would be if you took 4% per annum. Mm. If that figure's enough, then you've got enough to slow 4% down. meaning? 4%. So if they're saying a million rand, yes. work out what 4% of a million is, divide that by 12, and that's how much you can draw out per month. In an investment? As an investment, without damaging the investment and allowing it time to grow above inflation. Right. So it's got to be, uh, you, th- that is the easy calculation to do. And then don't forget rental incomes. I again say on one particular property that I paid 144,000 rand for. I'm getting 14,000 rand a month rent on that property. Right. So as long as the property is maintained, it gives you an alternative income stream and things can it needn't be a complete nightmare, but you've got to have a plan. That's critical. Right. Now, we've spent quite a bit of time on those first two points, but I think they were vital and they're giving information to people and uh, trying to give a, a, a glass that's half full scenario. Now, uh, your next point, maybe not as... No, the next one, I'm predicting violence. Mm. And I'm predicting violence at the education institutions. Why? And this is going to be triggered by the negligence of one of the government departments. At this point in time, your child is trying to get a student loan. And there are government departments that are supposed to provide those student loans. And the agreement was initially that if your parents earn less than 250000 you will get the loan. That rule has now been changed until the end of March. If your parents are working, you will not get the loan. Even if they're earning 100000 a year, you will not get the loan. This is not regulations. This is a department that has run out of money and he doesn't know how to admit it. And so it has just delayed all the student loans until March. But if your parents are unemployed, you will get the loan. Now, that is an impossible situation. You are locking down the door to thousands of students. I'm saying those students are not going to put up with that. Mm. I'm saying they're going to try and get the attention of everybody, and we know what that means. Mm. So I'm predicting not because the students are bad, but because the government department is not being monitored properly. And they've taken away from the students they've from previous years. taken the money. They spent money on COVID. This is a department financing education. What are they putting hundreds of millions of rand into COVID for? It's got nothing to do with their brief. And this 
is something unless the president gets involved now. And I'm sure he must be aware of it because I'm getting more than one parent moaning mm. at me right now. But if we don't get that sorted out, that's going to become a problem. Mm. And we've seen it in the past with student institutions. Absolutely. It only takes a few to get really frustrated and don't see the the problem with doing a bit of damage and causing a bit of violence. But it, I, I know it's still wrong, but if there's a root cause, you can't blame the reaction. No, you can't. You can't blame the kids. Let's get some more perspective on uh, government corruption. Okay, now... I was in the Netherlands uh, two years ago and the mayor of uh, Delft, I think it was, Delft or Hague, was caught with his hands in the cookie jar. It brought the country to a halt and it took him about three months of fighting the courts because he didn't want to lose his job. But it was an interesting exercise for me to seeing how the authorities dealt with this particular high-profile mayor. Now, the 10 least corrupt countries in the world, and this is put together by an international body, Denmark, Finland, and New Zealand each hold the first position. So those three have the least amount of public Mm. corruption. Norway, Singapore, and Sweden are second. Switzerland, Netherlands, Luxembourg and Germany. Those make up the 10 countries with the least. There are 180 countries that are monitored and South Africa is number 70 on the list. So there are 69 countries that are less corrupt than we are and 110 odd that are more corrupt. And I do this because we tend to think the whole world is as bad as we are or worse than we are worse than them. But if you go to Kuwait, Bulgaria, Bahrain, India, Ethiopia, Malawi, Egypt, you're in a country that is much more corrupt than South Africa is. If you're in one of the top 10 countries, then you're in a less corrupt. Mm. Now, if anybody wants the full report come out, you just got to pop me a line on questions at Northwood and I will give you the link so you can see what this annual report looks like I find it absolutely helpful and it gives me a perspective on where we are. And we've stayed at 70 for two years in a row now. We're not getting worse. We're not getting better. And we're still doing a lot to fight corruption. We're doing a lot. The problem is we're doing a lot by making a noise and revealing it, but we're not putting people in jail. And that is the key at the end of the Mm. day. Not a single member of the ANC national executive has been put in jail. Mm. And there is a long list who've been named and shamed and identified. So we still feel that there's protection. Right, we've got about three minutes left in the show. Tell us about scams. Okay, now this comes from FNB. They have um, had to warn people. Uh, One of the things is that you will get a, a message if your phone's been stolen. And this message will offer to help you track down the phone. This means somebody within a mobile company who knows that your phone has been stolen is now trying to get into your bank account. Mm. And they do this by saying, you have reported your phone. We can help you track it down. If you accept this link, it will make it possible. So those kind of scams, watch it. 
they are not going to be sent to you by the mobile company. The other area that people now get involved in is with SIM swaps. This is why most banks will now no longer use SMSs. They will use an internal system of contacting you. Because if they're relying on SMSs, all somebody's got to do is to get your address changed on your SIM card. And then they change the direction of where the SIM message goes and you stop getting SMSs warning you that somebody's interfering. Mm. So if you're at a bank that's still using SMSs, your money is more at risk. You need to be on a bank that has an internal system. I mean, even the lotto companies had to change because what they were doing is that people were getting messages saying, you've won the lotto. Please send us your bank details so we can make a deposit. And people do that. And then you check with them afterwards, say, did you actually buy a lotto ticket? No, I just thought it was a wonderful idea. (laughs) Then the last thing, social media scams. The scams that are really heavy right now are people selling puppies and people selling accommodation. Mm. A lot of those addresses, you've got to check, does the person actually own the property that they're advertising? If the person is selling the most wonderful puppies and that photograph of that puppy looks too posed, check with Google and you're going to find that is not actually the photograph of the dog. Reverse image search. Reverse image search. So those are the kind of things you can do that came out during the holidays. Scams around accommodation, scams around puppies, and then, of course, the old problem of trying to get hold of your bank details. Yeah, so if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good be, to be true. Yes. Nico, uh, that brings us almost to the end of the show, but thanks again for this information. And we do want to emphasize that look at the glass is half full. There's a lot of good news. Nico's just touching the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of good news. So when you see in the news all the negativity that sells papers, that sells advertising, don't always believe uh, to the degree with which they're reporting. So, Nico, thank you very, very much for that. So, we have a another show coming up next week, and that will be a community slot. And so, I'll be doing a recording, and hopefully we'll be bringing you some news around the homeless situation and what you as a citizen can do to help homelessness and what you shouldn't be doing. So that is next week's interview. But from me, Wayne Turner, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to uh, be enjoying my next week and trying to be as positive as possible. That glass needs to be half full. From me then, goodbye and God bless.